What's bizarre about the Green New Deal is if this is your goal, if we're just going to assume that climate change is such an existential threat, and as she said, we have 12 years left to live because climate change will destroy the planet, then why are you proposing legislation that talks about gender and racial inequality and healthcare and housing uh, and, and all of these things that have nothing to do with climate change? Coming up on this edition of The Strongcast, everything you need to know about the Green New Deal from electricity, transportation, agriculture, economic security, and military. Join us with a panel of experts to discuss all your questions and concerns, including will there be airplanes in the skies in 10 years? Will there be cattle on the farms in five years? And will there be cars on the highways in six months? All that on this edition of The Strongcast. Join us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Strongcast with your host, Armstrong Williams. There's been so much in the news today about the Green New Deal and the impact that uh, Congresswoman Alexander Cortez is having. Obviously, she's having an impact because Amazon released a statement recently saying the reason why they're pulling out of New York is because of her and other legislators' naivety, not understanding what $3 billion in taxes from the government really means, not understanding economics, not understanding math. And there's been a far outcry in New York as a result of Amazon pulling out. But our discussion is going to center today on exactly what this Green New Deal is. We do know that one of her um, legislators um, put out a statement which she said was not necessarily what's in the legislation. Now, we all know that this legislation cannot become law. Let's be very clear on this. I don't want to distort the Green New Green Deal today. I just want to deal with the facts of what they're actually proposing because we're not here to lambast anyone. Our show is about is getting to the facts. What does it mean? What does it mean for our economy? There, there are several layers to this: agriculture, the electrical, electricity, transportation. The president mentioned um, the military, uh, and there's been some debate of what. Well, they didn't even mention the military. And if you look at some of the earlier iterations of information they put out, the military was mentioned. Joining us today is Rob Bluey, um, executive editor, editor-in-chief of the Daily Signal at the Heritage Foundation. We welcome him back. Katie um, Tubb is a policy analyst for energy environment issues in the Institute of Economic Freedom at your Heritage Foundation. We welcome you to the show. And Daniel Turner is founder and executive director of Power the Future. So I, I know this is a, is a takeoff from Roosevelt's New Deal, it's the Green New Deal. It seems pretty preposterous on every level to me, the abandoned airplanes, getting rid of cows. I mean, this is what people seem to focus on. Mitch, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell putting it up for a vote to force Democrats to really see whether they're for the election, like really to embarrass them. So let me just start with you, um, Katie. Separate the facts from uh, fiction. You know, I, I think it's honestly a little bit hard to do that because we're, we have um, an idea of what the goal is, but very little details on how to get there. Uh, so what they're shooting for is net uh, zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And um, they present a 10-year action plan uh, to essentially get rid of greenhouse gases via, as you said, uh, electricity, manufacturing, agriculture, by doing things like 100% renewables, um, getting rid of coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, even nuclear is on the table as uh, 
being excluded from the equation. So we have um, visions and dreams, but very little ways to get there. Uh, and unfortunately, I think this is becoming more and more the vision of the Democratic Party to put more and more uh, of the levers of the economy in uh, DC's hands rather than individual people. You know, Daniel, obviously there's a very extreme mindset here. Some people would say that the people in the middle on the right have an extreme mindset. I mean, some people cannot even fathom the discussions about cattle and airplanes and the military and even, if necessary, banning cars. People say it's socialism at its extreme. Is there any merit? And how does someone get to a position like this, given when you look at places like Venezuela and other places around the world that have used these same movements um, and this same legislation, and it became law, the devastating effects on its economy? I mean, what, what are we missing? Yeah, there's always been a real disdain for the energy industry uh, and, and the environmental left because it's not state controlled. It's one of the few private industries um, and it is successful and does employ millions of people. Um, and there has been always a desire for the state to take over it like you see in Venezuela and most socialist countries. The energy industry is controlled by the state. Um, what's bizarre about the Green New Deal is if this is your goal, if we're just going to assume that climate change is such an existential threat and as she said, we have 12 years left to live because climate change will destroy the planet, then why are you proposing legislation that talks about gender and racial inequality and health care and housing uh, and, and all of these things that have nothing to do with climate change? If you want to have a conversation on climate change and on energy policy, I welcome it. I think that is a great conversation to have. But if you want to have a conversation on, on solving climate change that proposes 95% of it is just pure socialism, that, then you're not really having a serious conversation. And they showed their cards, so much so that they were laughed out of DC and then began to edit the, oh, that wasn't our draft, that was your draft. That was someone like Rob doctored it, right? They said the press doctored their draft. They were embarrassed with what they exposed and, and, and they were laughed out of town. You know, Rob, one of the things that she has done, is not, I'm not gonna say she's unified, uh, she and Senator Markey, the, establishment, because when you have Bloomberg, uh, I mean, you have people who really don't necessarily support the president, but they understand business and how markets work, and Cuomo uh, and de Blasio, all of them unite together. The economic impact and what they're saying to do about taxes, and then you got American people agreeing that 70% taxes, and I don't think people understand sometimes, New York has the highest taxes in the world. You can only tax the rich so much. You're absolutely correct. I mean, if it's done anything, you're, you're correct in that it has united conservatives and people on the right. I think President Trump benefits from it because of the extremities that we've seen. The fact that they've walked back some of the more uh, extreme elements that, uh, providing income for people who are unwilling to work. I mean, that was actually something that was in the Frequently Asked Questions document that they had to uh, pull down. But, but Armstrong, I think that what, what, you're, what you're getting at here is, yes, there are still some people in the Democratic Party on the left who recognize that this is not the approach to having a successful economy in the United States. They don't want to see the government exert more control over levers in the energy sector or healthcare or you name it. You go down the list. And that's the direction that people like Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and others would like to, to see our country go. 
I think they're trying to take a pop, relatively popular plan that FDR had with the New Deal, which uh, perhaps for people our generation isn't in, uh, as significant as, say, parents or grandparents, because you know they came of age at a time when it was quite popular because we were in the Depression. And they're trying to co-opt that into a much more radical and socialist direction for the country. So Katie, how do you even begin to have a conversation with someone that even if people don't work, they should be taken care of. Even if they're lazy, they should be taken care of. I mean, everyone has seen this experiment in their own families, in their own communities, in their own organizations. People have more self-respect and self-esteem and afford more productivity when they earn theirs. There are people that you should take care of. There are those who are handicapped. There are returning veterans who cannot take care of themselves. We all have people who suffer with some kind of disability in our families. But to advocate that you should take care of everybody in the United States. I mean, I, 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 do you not learn from history and things that happen within your own community? Where, where, where does this come from? Where it comes from, I'm not sure. But I think exactly to your point, we don't owe people <clears throat> excuse me, more free stuff. We owe them the dignity of free choice. And um, I think that's what free markets uh, avail people of the freedom to choose. And sometimes that means choosing wrong things and you learn from that experience. That's why families are so important to help you make and learn what good decisions are. But something interesting to me is um, campus reform went down to the University of Florida earlier this week, just testing the Green New Deal with students. And initially they were all very favorable, favorable of it, you know, the great packaging. Um, but when they started hearing, okay, this means paying people who don't want to work the students all of a sudden said, well, why am I going to college? Uh, <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. And so when you start to get into the details, I think you can have a real conversation with people that help them understand, you know, this actually is very detrimental to our society and to the you know, individual dignity of human beings. You know, I, I, I don't like referring to people as being ignorant, but it's just so, to me, the fact that you could think that within 10 years, you're going to ban air travel? Do you know, to go back to the days of the Neanderthal? I mean, do you understand what air travel, with, with, with all of the um, unintended consequences, what air travel has done to the world? I mean, how can someone convince themselves that they can even put this on paper, and that's a starter, to ban air travel? Yeah, they, they're ignorant in the classic sense of really just not knowing. And, and but so they do know. Uh, come on, they have to know. They, well, I don't think Congressman, I don't think Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez understands how many kilowatt hours it requires to run your average household in America or to run the subway system or to run a building. How many kilowatts uh, is put out by a nuclear plant, a coal plant, etc. There are they call themselves the party of science. There are scientific foundations of how electric grids work and what is required to power them and to sustain it. And the fact that people wake up and put on their coffee machines and turn on their phones and have a hot water shower is because we have a, a constant, reliable, abundant, inexpensive energy that affords us this quality of life. They look at air travel with a pejorative sense. They think it, it's capitalist, it's greedy, it's selfish, it pollutes. But it also saves people's lives. In, in the years that we have experienced rising sea levels and warming temperatures, and there's some truth to that, absolutely, in these last 150 years, we've also eradicated major diseases. We've pulled countries out of poverty um, we live longer. Women don't die in childbirth like they used to. Uh, energy allows us to live a certain standard of, of, of life that we have so taken for granted to, to sacrifice all of that for what? The planet is not, we are not here to serve the planet. 
The planet is here for us, and we can have a wonderful coexistence, and we should be good stewards of the Earth. But to say that we're not is, is absolutely ignorant, and it's, and it's insulting to the men and women who work in that industry. It's their air, it's their water, it's their land. We do not pollute in this country. We do not pollute our world. We do not pollute our nation. And I'm just tired of people like Ms. Ocasio-Cortez and, and the environmental radicals thinking that we in America are somehow bad for the earth. We're not. We have done great things for this planet and for other countries, and I don't think Americans are gonna sacrifice it for the sake of a false climate change narrative. Now, now Rob, you, you know, listen, if you want a formula to destroy America without war, a military might, or the Russians or the Chinese, or any one that some people may perceive as the enemy of America, Ms. Cortez's plan, I, see, I don't believe that Ms. Cortez has the intelligence to come up with this kind of plan. She has to be a tool of a greater force. There's just no way. This and, and listen, they've already won. People are actually talking about this as if it's worthy of dialogue. Some crazy stuff. I mean, insanity. Of all the things that's going on in the world, we're talking about whether these crazy people want to ban We're talking about it. there's got to be something very diabolical going on here that we're missing. Who are her advisors? Who's funding her? I mean, how in the world? And who are these people? that once she says something, they go and intimidate politicians to the point where they can't even deal with what they know is wise, what they know has worked for America. They're so intimidated that they just cave into her. Yeah, well, so I, I think that genuinely she, she was a grassroots candidate who defeated a Democratic leader in the primary. I think then probably what happened is you saw other forces on the left recognized that she was going to have a lot of leverage, a huge social media following, be able to generate headlines wherever she goes. And so all of a sudden those forces move in and they say, okay, Green New Deal, Medicare for All, you go down the list, and, and they want her to be their spokesperson for their policies. So I think that that's, I agree with you. Who are they? I mean, I, you, you two probably know, know the energy. I mean, and and why, is the, why the media does such a disservice and celebrating, elevating these people to some kind of status, because it makes her believe that she has something that is credible, that is worthwhile debating, and there's a possibility. And it fuels the people in their ignorance. It makes the electorate, it makes the voters, it makes them ignorant, uninformed, it makes them look stupid. Why would the media, and, 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 and you know it's just a matter of time, it's just a matter of time, the same media that's elevating her, they're gonna turn on her and just pounce and crush her. It can't last. Well, and, and she's already complained that there's a certain level of media bias against her because of the number of fact checks that, that, that she encounters and the number of Pinocchio. No, the number of lies. They're lies. <laughs> right. But she doesn't like that scrutiny. But but given the status that she has, I think that, that the she media created. They the created media, her. They did create her. There there are there were so many others that you could look at in the 20, 2018 uh, midterm elections that they could have elevated. They chose her. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, she did defeat a Democratic leader, Joe Crowley, in the primary. So I think there was good reason that she, she got the attention. But yes, you're absolutely correct. The fact that she now, in many cases, has a bigger social media following than so many of these 2020 Democratic candidates, what does that tell you about the media? They have focused on her uh, at a much greater rate than others. And then you take um, the Democratic candidates from Elizabeth Warren uh, to Kamala Harris, and Cory Booker, for them to say during their campaigns, they support the Green New Deal, knowing exactly what it is. And it's only political. It has nothing to do with principle. It only gives more credibility to this. But I'm asking a different question. Who is behind this? What is the goal here? 
Because this for, for the average American, just like when you said the students heard the details, they said, are you kidding me? Why am I in college? Why am I going to support somebody who doesn't work? I'm just trying to understand, is there something that we're missing from this conversation? There have always been outside funders of the radical green movement. The last Congress, the House Committee on Science, was actually investigating National Resources Defense Council, Sierra Club, Earth Justice, etc., because they received so much foreign money, saying if you get a $50 million check from China, and then you were using that to affect domestic policy in America, you should have to register as a foreign agent. But they're using that money to destroy America. Absolutely. That's what this money is for. Look, and look at the state we're in right now in America, which is just fascinating to think that Venezuela is down about 600,000 barrels um, because of their unrest of, uh, to the world oil markets, right? The, the Middle East is no more placid than it was 10 years ago, yet in America, our oil prices are pretty solid, pretty standard, and pretty calm because we are producing so much that world turmoil doesn't affect us anymore. That's amazing. If you are Russia or if you are China, why would you not give $25 million to the Sierra Club to try to do a fracking ban? And, and you see these things popping up in, in multiple places. The uh, American energy dominance is not good for world uh, uh, America's adversaries. And a lot of foreign money influences these groups. Um, I know for a fact that some of these larger green organizations are not predominantly, but very heavily foreign funded. And I think they should register as a foreign agent. I get no foreign money. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. If I received money from another country to affect change here in America, I would register as a foreign agent. Why don't they? So I agree with you. And it may sound like I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist, but there is a lot of foreign money to affect American energy and, industry. And it wasn't too long ago where. I there were foreign entities trying to undermine uh, the fracking movement here in the United States, correct? Yeah, I mean, we, and the we election. We saw that firsthand, yes. Right? I, I mean, we've talked about Russian influence in Facebook ads, etc., to, to, to create uh, turmoil during the elections. Foreign influence in America is not a new thing. Why would they not jump on the green movement? They don't want American energy dominance. It's not good for them. Uh, Katie, well, you, you, I would say, ahead. Armstrong, to your point, I think there is a political game being played here, too, in that when you move the needle so far left, things just off of that all of a sudden seem more reasonable. So things like carbon taxes all of a sudden are more reasonable than this Green New Deal. But formerly, a carbon tax was a non-starter in Congress. So I think that's part of the political game behind some of these presidential hopefuls hopping onto a largely symbolic deal uh, because it, it moves the conversation further left than it formerly was. You know, uh, you have to give the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, credit. She's given no credibility to Cortez's proposals. She said, well, that's what they say there. Has anybody read it? Yeah. I mean, she's very, very um, transparent about it. She makes no bones about it. And if you look at her, the last time that the, the Democrats, when she was in power, proposed radical national environmental energy policy was the cap and trade deal in 2009. They had a supermajority in the Senate. Harry Reid didn't even bring it to the vote for a, to the floor for a vote. And as a result, Pelosi lost the speakership, and in 2010, she was swept out of office. She knows that radical energy policy, national legislation, is bad for her. So if you're the speaker and you finally got the gavel back, she does not want to give that up. It makes perfect sense she would dismiss the Green Deal. Absolutely. Talk about this Green Deal as it relates to economic security, Katie. Um, well, it's a recipe for economic insecurity. Um, so the American Action Forum tried to put a cost on what this would entail, and they just looked at uh, infrastructure investments, and they tallied up about $6 trillion in infrastructure investments, and that's not even looking at uh, coal and nuclear uh, natural gas plants shutting down. 
So that's not even considering economic costs. Um, so you're putting in about $6 trillion in investment, which by the way, um, globally last year, uh, investment in renewables was about 300 billion. So a small fraction of what would be needed. Uh, so assuming we can do that, uh, which would come out of taxpayers' pockets, um, we're also ramping up monthly electricity bills. We're not talking, you know, a couple dollars. We're talking about hundreds of dollars a month. And I think that's really an important conversation to have because when you raise energy prices, you're hitting the poor the hardest. So this is incredibly regressive. Um, even if you say something like, well, we'll just make government pay for it, that money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, and the more and more you tax uh, individuals, you're taxing your economy. Um, so your outright taxes hurt the economy. You're raising the cost of energy, which hurts not just your monthly bill, but basically every good and service that relies on energy, which is almost everything we do in our economy, that ultimately hurts the poor the most. And, and I'm sorry, I, let me just add on that. We've, we have polling out that shows that Americans won't even pay $10 more a month uh, for, for more, for more uh, clean energy. So the, the, Katie is absolutely correct in that. And there are also real life examples taking place in France right now where we've seen the backlash to these types of policies, probably not even this type of extreme policy. Mm. So Daniel, explain the military aspect. I know they want to cut it in half. They always the, the military funding seems to always be the the excuse for for any left uh, proposal that will just take the money out of out of the military. Again, it, it, nuclear energy runs a lot of of our our navy, right? Nuclear energy has been proven to be safe. When people say they want nuclear out of the Green New Deal because they don't like it, well, there are a couple thousand sailors right now who are sleeping literally above a nuclear reactor somewhere in a submarine, and they're fine. Right, nuclear is incredibly safe, and it is incredibly green. If you want to be green, um, so gutting the military is always their 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 favorite child, right? Of, of that's how we'll get all the money. But again, when you talked about being ignorant of economics, if you look at our federal budget, the military is by no means our biggest uh, uh, expense by by far. Uh, if you really need to find money in the budget, the military has a little bit, but entitlements has a lot of it. But yet, that seems to grow entitlements. If people who are unwilling to work or getting it more money. That's just a larger entitlement. So I don't know. Well, you know what they said? We'll just print the money. And that was a that was a serious response. We'll just print it. So print it. And if you're going to print it, please give some to me. Because if that's how the economy works, and I'm unwilling to work, just print me money, and I'm going to sit home. Two percent tax on anybody over fifty million dollars. Um, more taxes on billionaires. Um, you know, I, I just want. And I have to ask this because, you know, we try to be neutral and fair here. But this topic here is so outrageous. Um, there's more serious issues that we should be talking about. But is there any redeeming value? Is there anything redeeming in what they're advocating that you're seeing? Yes. It shows this, the absolute lunacy of the environmental left. And it brings this conversation to the forefront to say these people are, are permeating all parts of society. And there are little kids right now who think the world is gonna end in 12 years and all of that needs to stop. The global warming hoax has gone on way too long. We have spent billions of dollars. The previous administration spent hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies and in investments in green jobs and we have nothing to show for it. So the best thing to come out of the Green New Deal is hopefully the American people will wake up to this gigantic hoax that has been the, the climate change movement. So, um, Katie, 
how, just in terms of the, the real estate market, um, the service industry, um, j just the fact, even the tax base, the fact that Amazon pulled out of New York because of the same intelligence. Talk about the real impact of this. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting connection <coughs> to make. And uh, Jonah Goldberg had a, a recent op-ed connecting those dots. That you know, on one hand, you have uh, Amazon pulling out of New York, and people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez praising that, saying, you know, this was a cronyist deal from the beginning. Good riddance to New she York. She didn't understand the deal. She she probably didn't. She doesn't. But I think what's interesting, Armstrong, is the very reasons she was criticizing that deal. Uh, cronyism on behalf of Amazon are the exact same tools she's advocating for this Green New Deal. She's advocating for things like tax credits, government spending, uh, a regulatory game that suits renewable energy as opposed to coal, oil, and natural gas. These are the things she was critiquing Amazon for and New York City for. Uh, but then she has no problem advocating for them in the Green New Deal. And I, I think that cognitive dissonance is really concerning, but also very instructive for us um, as far as what this actually means. It doesn't mean more freedom for individuals. It means empowering an elite to make decisions for us at incredible expense. And, and I think that's a great point, Armstrong, because I, I think this is the one thing that, that as conservatives or people who believe in the free market, we're not opposed to high-speed rail or electric cars. We just don't want the government subsidizing and telling us that we have to do them. If, if electric cars and high-speed rail can be financially viable and the private sector wants to embrace that, I think we'd be fine with that approach. Uh, the fact is that solar power and wind and the renewable energy, they're just not producing enough uh, to get us to where we need to be, the demands that we have. You look at the recent polar vortex in Chicago, they actually had to shut down a lot of the renewables and go back to relying on natural gas and coal to keep people warm uh, at a time when we were, we were facing that severe cold because they just couldn't operate in, in that environment. So the free market is a great thing. It's just that, as Katie said, we don't want the government telling us that that's how we have to live our lives. And look at the high-speed rail issue that the Green New Deal was gonna connect the whole nation by high-speed rails. The current governor of, of, of California just canceled their high-speed rail, Gavin Newsom, between Los Angeles and San Francisco because they are hundreds of, of millions of dollars over budget. It was going to cost close to $90 billion, and it was 30 years delayed. Our D.C. metro is absolutely underwater. New York subway system is underwater. Amtrak is underwater. If government can't run those small train systems now, where are we going to get these geniuses who are going to build this this high-speed rail to connect the whole nation because we make air travel obsolete and cars obsolete. If they don't exist now, where, as Milton Friedman said, where are we going to find these angels to organize society for us? Because clearly they're not running the, 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 the rail systems that we currently have in place. So again, it's just preposterous. Where do we go from here? Katie? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think one way we can tack the conversation is, you know, if you're really serious about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, whatever you think about global warming, how do you actually do that? You know, this, this plan is clearly not serious about this. It's a stimulus for renewable energy. But say we want to take the conversation to things like nuclear. No greenhouse gas emissions. Why is the nuclear industry failing in the United States? And I, I would argue we simply over-regulate over it. So can we have that discussion? How do we um, create innovation or you know, an environment of innovation in the energy sector that actually meets people's needs. Um, so I think that's one direction we can go. Um, another is the national labs. How do we get 
uh, all of the wealth that's in the national labs out the door so that people can use that innovation to create solutions to people's problems. So I think that's one direction we can go is um, creating an environment for a more innovative and healthy energy sector. You know, 70% of New Yorkers wanted Amazon. There's not been a peep of a protest of anybody in the Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area, or in Nashville, or any other place that want Amazon to come. But yet, in New York, they revolted against them. It's as if they're, it's a, like it's a different world. It, it certainly seems that it is. I mean, even you had a, a left-wing mayor there, Bill de Blasio, who, who seemed flabbergasted and, and, and almost speechless because he couldn't describe how the whole thing fell apart. I mean, he was integral to, to the whole thing coming together. So look, there is a movement going on right now. Uh, I, I think that people um, misunderstand what we talk about socialism. I think that there, there is a younger generation that sees socialism as people coming together and, and working collaboratively, not as we, we've seen it in the past, as the destruction in Venezuela or, or Cuba or other uh, countries. But Armstrong, I think that you asked, where do we go next? I mean, the most the most uh, realistic thing I think we're going to see is the Senate voting on this. I don't know if, whether Pelosi will ever bring it up in the House, but it's going to put people on record. And I think that that's important, as we talked about earlier, to stake out the contrasting views of the direction of our country. And what better way to do that than, than put everybody, um, including a lot of candidates who want to be president, on the record uh, as supporting this or not? Rob? Katie, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of The Strong Cast. I'm your host, Armstrong Williams.